0: And President Trump has been accused of denying the organisation financial aid in order to prevent people from voting.
1: organizations both left and right, you know, that are allegedly there to monitor the electoral process. You know, in many ways, they're actually intimidating voters who want to physically attend those locations as well. Then see separate armed groups going there and facing off with each other and the potential for an escalation
0: at those polling stations.
2: What impact does a split office between individuals who support BLM individuals who can't be bothered um, because they like the status quo and individuals who are against what the movement's done or what Antifa's doing, what impact can that have within a business?
0: I think if it's a Trump win, what we're going to see is an increase in action and violence up to the inauguration day, seeing potentially the rioting and looting, and we can't rule out a high-profile terrorist attack. Some sort of um, person on the lunatic fringe of the left actually going out and trying to actually conduct some sort of terrorism incident. So straight off the bat, what do we think? Is there going to be another civil war in the US? I think there's clearly a civil war of opinion. And direction of where the U.S. is going towards, um, which I think is, you know, it's clearly very polarizing at the moment. You know, can that then slip into violent action being conducted on the ground? Well, yes, we're already seeing that, but on a low level amongst different groups. So factions are growing. They are sort of taking sides. I think for, you know, the traditional civil war that we would expect, you'd, see, you'd have to see a complete degradation of police. But what is worrying is that left groups are now trying to do that. They're trying to kind of remove police forces. But for the U.S., it has you know, the largest military, most well-funded military in the world. So I think we're never going to realistically get to a point where you're going to have a civil war like America experienced previously but I do think there is the potential for isolated clashes between armed groups you know the perfect example being the sort of militia groups and the not fucking around coalition sort of facing off with each other lots and lots of armed angry people facing off off with each other yeah Yeah, exactly and that's sort of escalating yeah I mean never say never but
3: uh, even even with everything going on at the moment it would still take a lot for a civil war to uh, to kick off so I mean even with even with the the uh, opinion polls you mentioned there, it's I mean it's never it's possible, but there would still have to be a lot that would need to happen for even just to get to the stage where you're at the I suppose at the you know the, the point of no return.
1: I think one interesting trend that we witnessed over the, the course of 2020 and especially coinciding with the violence over the summer is the exodus from urban cities such as New York and Portland and Seattle. Of business people and also people potentially with more Republican or or moderate views um, who are moving to Republican states or moving to rural areas. So, what we may see, and this may be a, a longer term trend which may have implications in the next decade, but an increasing segregation or polarization of. Of of people with uh, opinions moving to geographical areas so we'll see people moving out of democratic states into republican states and vice versa which then ultimately in in, in the future may um, increase the lobbying for state segregation or the breakup of the union so Um, secession secession yeah yeah
3: and i think that that trend at the moment is sort of the beginning of the sort of a push towards the, the point of no return, but that's still, you know, Harry, as you mentioned, a long way off. You know, a lot of contextual reporting of uh anecdotal reporting have been have been looking at. Uh there is bit people have been pointing out how a lot of people are already moving from states like New York and California and are moving to Florida and Texas, for example. And amongst a lot of people in Florida and Texas, they're they're happy for people to to move to their state, but what they are what they Appear to be, I suppose, the the line in the sand for a lot of people who already live in the, the places like Florida and Texas is, if you're going to leave a state like New York or California, don't bring the very don't bring the sort of the don't don't, don't bring the sort of line of thinking that created the conditions that you're seeing in New York and California. With you leave that back in back in New York and California, so that's possibly where you could start to see the point in their return. Is if uh, I suppose a lot of people move from. Uh, Democratic Democrat-run states to Republican-run states and try to have Democrats take over uh, those uh, those areas. That's where you could possibly see the, I suppose, the indications of a civil war uh, begin. But well, think, even think, then, think, it would still take a long time.
2: I think it's also important to <clears throat> be clear that there's also there's a variety of reasons why people move out of certain cities and go to different states. And I think one of the first thing we said. Uh, initially on this podcast, when we we're talking about politics, is the economy is key, and I think a number of businesses move out maybe of California, and maybe not so because of an ideology from the social perspective, but rather because of taxes and things of that nature too. A more business-friendly state uh, like Texas, where a number of tech companies have moved to Dallas, to Austin, um, and I think it's not only because of high taxes, but I think a split up of operations uh, based on high cost of living, which uh, the Silicon Valley has caused where employees have a hard time actually being able to buy a house, rent a house, just because of a high cost of living. And I think splitting their operations across the U.S. to more business friendly or to cheaper states allows kind of a spread spreading out of the wealth and makes it cheaper probably for them uh, in terms of overhead costs. And I think COVID-19 will also have a significant impact nowadays due to the nature of the pandemic and how people have been forced to work at, at, at home. I think a, a number of companies will likely see that we can probably cut our over, overhead costs because people yeah. are able to do the same job from their home with Zoom, with Skype, with things like that. So I think there might be a change uh, from that type of business perspective. So I think it's important to kind of, kind of distinguish that there are some people are moving out of the cities because of unrest, but others also doing it from purely an individual or a business uh, decision.
1: But generally, that, that, that individual or business decision is driven by finances, mm. which in the majority of high-tax states are democratic-owned. Yeah. So those people, even though they may not be moving from a personal security perspective, they're still moving and are motivated on, on some form of ideological grounds mm. to move out of that state into a low-tax Republican state. So they may be moderates. They even maybe you know, have democratic sympathies themselves, but their business – model is it cannot operate in those environments mm. so they're moving out. So again in the long term this will just in increasingly polarise the, the electorate maybe and, and allow um, red and blue states to be increasingly I'd um, you say um, centred in those areas. So I think as well one, one trend we might see with working from home and the economy is the, the, the rural and urban divide and also the with the economy getting increasingly worse in the moment with with covid and the lockdowns and and the, and the ramifications of that is the, the wealth disparity and as people become poorer in the US um they generally look to more they look to more social welfare um type policies and so you may get a an increasing number of people in urban areas who have been out of work looking to, to democrats or looking for to leftist ideology and and, and becoming increasingly radicalised maybe in the future, um, as well as um, more affluent people who've left the cities and moved to to rural areas um, tending to have more right-wing or nationalist ideology or or viewpoints. So there could be that um, split between the urban and rural areas as well.
0: The worrying part is the, the path towards extremism is accelerated through economic issues. And, you know, we've always said this in our analysis on looking at places like Europe, that if there's a significant economic impact, it's going to increase um, extremism. What we didn't expect was COVID-19, you know, a global pandemic that would have such a massive impact on the economy that it's, it's, it's accelerating the path of extremism globally. Um, so that is going to feed into this, this whole question of a civil war. But I think we're kind of generally in agreement that. No, yes, there is a civil war in terms of um, ideology and, and the path that the US should go on. There may be cases of isolated instances of, of violence flaring, but nothing like what you would imagine the word civil war to actually mean and, and to be defined as. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so moving on then, um, continuing on the step two of defining the environment's effect. So what we've done is we've actually looked at the US from a, um, a pop- population density perspective, and you kind of see... The majority of population within the u s is either focused on either of the different coasts, um, but what we did was we actually overlaid the George Floyd fallout theme from the intelligence Fusion platform as well as the left wing um, extremism theme from the Intelligence Fusion platform. And we've kind of came up with um, 14 locations which have seen the majority of activity. Um, You know, we haven't really factored the right in because the right are more um, issue-based rather than location-based. So they will actually attend locations where the left are and the left are actually conducting activities and try to antagonize them or do counter-protests. So... The 14 locations that we've come up with are Seattle and Portland, as well as San Francisco, Los Angeles, Denver, Minneapolis, Chicago, Detroit, Louisville, Atlanta, Richmond, Philadelphia, New York, and Washington, DC, you know, being the, the political heart of the US. So what we've also pulled together, which you can see on your screen now is a doctrinal template of both Antifa. And then we're going to, we have also going to show one regarding Proud Boys. Now, what doc- doctrinal templates allow us to do from an intelligence perspective is if we know that there's going to be a protest at key location, we can see historically what the um, actions are prior to the event, what they do during the event, and kind of what sort of instance they are um, part of. So kind of just breaking this down. So top left, generally from an Antifa perspective, you know, they will start, um, events of theirs that they start and they attend will begin about 8 p.m. and probably go on to about 2 to 3 a.m. Sort of actions prior to the event, you're looking at things like intelligence of targets and adversaries, um, you know, they'll do training, they'll do weapons training they'll do um, martial arts training, um, also planning is conducted on encrypted messaging sites like Telegram, and you also mentioned Signal as well, Matt. Um, Weapons and equipment prepared, so, you know, they come with things like slingshots, they come with Molotov cocktails, and even cases of where, you know, caches have been set of items ready to be used as part of that event. From a cyber perspective, we've seen things like doxing of targets, so, you know, we've seen police officers actually um, had their details released of their home locations. Hacking, um, intelligence operations, even, um, you know, part of of Antifa's um, method is is to um, attempt to sort of ridicule people who oppose them. You know, they, they make out and, and say, you know, Antifa is just an idea, you know, we're not an organisation. Um, but, you know, that is all part of their sort of information operations, their psychological operations campaign. It's almost like
1: gaslighting, isn't it? Yeah. Yep.
0: Yeah. And from an asymmetric perspective, we see um, you know attempts to get opposition members fired from their jobs, as well as things like hoax bomb threats have been used. On the actual um, day of the event itself, so you know, we mentioned anti-forming up points. So it's probably well based on historical precedent. It's about half a mile away from where the actual target location is. And you mentioned this performance It's normally things like parks it, which are used as form- forming up points, where they'll get their equipment ready. They'll get dressed in black block. and we've seen videos of like you know vans arriving with pre-prepared banners as well as shields. So clearly there's a logistical element which supports the protesters on the ground. Um, And there has to be somebody from an operational perspective that is actually monitoring this event and actually guiding it and ensuring that everything kind of works um, in synchronicity. And once you actually get to the target location, the types of incidents that we've witnessed are things like protests, obstruction, so we saw obstruction at events back in sort of 2016 of certain conservative um, um, figures who were sort of doing talks, Malo y- um along with um, Ben Shapiro, these types of people. Um, which again kind of feeding in the polarization is if you don't allow an opposition group to have their free speech, then it just makes them more extreme because what do they then have? But from an Antifa's perspective, they look at it as if to say we shouldn't allow fascists to speak anywhere, even if they see that fascist as being a Jew like Ben Shibiro in that instance, um, as well as riots, looting, vandalism, harassment, intimidation, fireworks and mortars, projectiles thrown, bombings, ABH, GBH, all the way through to arson and murder, which is what we've seen. Even the use of actually, they've
3: even been successful in using lasers, uh, la- uh, laser, uh, sort of laser pointers against police officers, I believe. There's been up to... Uh, I think there's been just over 10. I can't remember if they're actually Portland police officers or federal or federal agents that were guarding the courthouse, but there's quite a few who have actually uh, significant eye damage from the use of Antifa members actually shining laser lights, yeah. uh laser pointers in their eyes, which you know one of one of uh, those I mean I've had eye surgery a long time ago that the power of those things is certainly is certainly no joke. Mm-hmm. The you know, uh, the right power laser in someone's eyes can blind them permanently. Yeah. And that's without firing
0: a single shot. Yep. And you can do so at range. So I... I looking at sort of actions at the target location, we see things like situational awareness being conducted by members who are reporting on security force movements uh, via Telegram, as well as using umbrellas. You know, umbrellas are a key part of these protests where you almost have um, one group who actually go out there and commit acts of violence or vandalism, and then you've got another group who actually support them with umbrellas, who use them to actually block cameras. So I think there was an instance in Portland where they were trying to set fire to one of the federal buildings, and you've got a person who's breaking a window or trying to throw a, a Molotov cocktail Inside, one of the persons kind of holding the umbrella up to the CCTV cover to prevent that being actually not block.
1: just blocking um, cameras, but they're also using the umbrellas to to mask um, provocative actions. Mm. So they're they're advancing towards the police. There'll be a perpetrator within the, within the group who will throw a Molotov cocktail or, or whatever device, and he'll be covered with umbrellas so so they can't be seen. And it's a tactic that we've seen spread globally to yeah. not just Hong Kong, Hong Kong seen. Yeah, to. Uh, to Belarus, other areas where protest groups are using umbrellas now?
0: Um also at the target location, there is an intentional escalation to riot as well as the targeting of security personnel. Um, We've seen the riots leading to vandalism and looting as well as attempts to break into buildings to set them on fire and a move onto residential areas to intimidate and harass residents. And we've got that on the doctrinal template there, sort of up to a 0.3 miles or a half a kilometre away and moving to these sort of residential areas, as well as the attempts to set up an autonomous zone. And in terms of actual targets, um, it's been things like U.S. ICE facilities, local government buildings, capitalist-type businesses such as Starbucks, Amazon, um, as well as right-wing events and talks, police locations, and federal buildings. Um, in terms of the actual quantities of people who will attend, I think it's sort of up to about a 1,000 people plus. Um, so for us, from an intelligence perspective, and looking at the U.S. elections, this allows us to actually look at this and say, right, we kind of know doctrinally how they're actually going to operate on the ground. Um Looking at the Proud Boys is just an example. Um, you know, a lot less actions in relation to them. In terms of the timings, it's sort of starting during the daytime and then ending early evening. There's not really much in terms of night protests or night events that they conduct. Actions prior to the event, you're looking at things like intelligence of targets and adversaries. Planning is conducted again on encrypted messaging sites like Telegram, as well as weapons and equipment that is being prepared, as well as their deception plans. So I think recently you saw something regarding a, a deception plan.
2: Yeah, so, well, recently uh, Enrique Atario, the chairman, was on, on a podcast uh, with Tim Pool. um and in it, in it uh saying that um basically uh for the the protest that was taking place at delta park he had put out on online that it was actually taking place at another park uh just to kind of uh, get antifa members to lo- get be located at, at another area away from them um but yeah so there is kind of that outlook of misinformation uh to put in place yeah
0: um, in terms of the prow boys again forming up points is is in places like parks again they they will have vehicles that will arrive with banners as well as equipment that's being dropped off so they have logistical teams supporting them as well similar t- in terms of sort of um distances to actually get to the target location but for them from a target location one it's either conducting their own events which are based on protests regarding things like free speech or anti anti-antifa protests or um attending left-wing events in order to antagonize them um, and then actions on the target locations they will act- either conduct speeches they'll confront adversary groups as well as attempt to antagonize groups so they conduct violence and the types of incidents we've seen re- regarding Proud Boys are you know, protests harassment intimidation projectiles thrown as well as ABH and GBH but you know we could get to a point where things escalate in the future and we do see tit-for-tat targeting between each groups yeah. and in terms of the actual quantity of Proud Boys who we will see at events I think you know the most we've seen is up to about a thousand people. But again, you know, you mentioned it, Vincent, that, you know, there are other groups who seem to just sort of tag along and sort of inflate those numbers. Mm-hmm. What I also want to explain from an intelligence perspective, so what you had in the um, the shooting in, in Denver, Colorado, where the security guard actually shot the right-wing um, protester and killed him was... Um, a really interesting intelligence process that took place on 4chan. So we kind of monitored the 4chan thread and um, just kind of explained some of the things that we found. You know, what I will say to the, the the people on 4chan is that they're really effective from an intelligence perspective. Within 90 minutes, there was 426 replies and 90 images that were up- uploaded. And key themes that we found was that they were very efficient in intelligence gathering. They found a variety of social media profiles as well as emails associated with the security guard. Um, and they even found his gamer profile, his Steam profile as well.
2: It's something about his father's information as well.
0: Yeah. 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 So that was another thing that they also did was actually leaking um, the the father's Facebook profile as well as his wife's Facebook profile as well. So not only just um, limiting it it to him, they're also revealing information regarding his extended family and probably putting them at at, at risk as well.
2: Which I think is quite important that they don't just look at the individual, uh, because I think from a business perspective, and we've mentioned it before, that it's not just looking at businesses that might be uh, pro-BLM or anti-BLM, whichever side, but their employees as well. So, And and, and yeah. we've seen it with multiple incidents of someone getting caught, more so like hate crimes towards Asians or anything like that, but get a recording and then all of a sudden he gets identified by people on the internet. Uh, they find out his workplace, then the workplace gets flooded with emails or tweets uh, saying, this is your, is this your employee can confirm, or this is your employee. We found him, uh, this is what he's doing, share the a video. Uh, and then all of a sudden the business is on the back foot having to say, we're opening an internal investigation. And then oftentimes the person gets fired and the business replies with a generic, uh, we're, we're for this, we're for that. Uh, and this is not behavior that we condone within the business and stuff. I just try to be on the back foot. Uh, but it, the actions of individuals, can often have an impact on businesses uh, so definitely something to be aware of or the risk
0: of them actually misidentifying the person exactly. and releasing the wrong details of somebody else and we've
2: seen that in the past mm. boston bombing as an example mm. of, of where they misidentified and there was actually someone who had uh, been missing and found dead later on so um, yeah no it's the internet is one of those places that can go kind of both ways for good or evil
0: yeah, I mean, other themes that we found is things like people had released um, on 4chan emails relating to the security guard when he was um allegedly part of the Occupy Denver movement. They'd found business profiles and business websites, such as using um things like the Wayback Machine to actually read old content. There was also conspiracy theories that were being circulated, such as the security guard working with the CIA or talking about Jewish people being re- behind recent shootings in the US. There was also trolling by infiltrators into the forums, attempting to undermine their findings, as well as one person commenting saying, it feels so good seeing you white scumbags losing your country and seeing your pathetic culture being replaced. Um, so a lot of antagonization going on between the people on the, the forum, which, again, you know, it only antagonizes them and just sort of escalates the the sort of the rhetoric and the vitriol between these different groups. We saw racist messages being posted on the forum Conversations about Antifa. They posted the security guards party affiliation. Um, as well as, you know, what was interesting was some people were making this comment about um, it's 4chan versus Glow. Now, Glow refers to this idea that the intelligence agencies bait potential criminals or gather intelligence about a particular online community to reveal their intentions or belief, and this is known as Glow posting. Um, they were sharing social media profiles, sharing his address, his emails, um, but also not only the hashed passwords, but also clear text passwords as well and um, that even shared his um his email address and it's um have i' been um pawned um status now that means that you're um it's a website where you can actually see that this email has actually been um compromised as part of some sort of hack so providing people with the potential to actually try and hack his email account and try and find more information out regarding him they also um, downloaded images from his Facebook page and put it on a, an IMGA f- um, page. So that's then saved there for historical record if they want to go back to it. And in light of all the intention that the incident garnered through the research, we also noticed that family p- Facebook profiles were either um, hidden, um, anonymized, or completely deleted. Um, comments were made on profiles linked to the security guards, such as mentioning the, ma- the name of the man who was shot, or stating on like YouTube in the comment section, saying, you know, you're going to go to jail. Um, research was conducted of people people and organizations linked to the incident and people were trying to make connections between him and Antifa. And then finally, although there was lots of circumstantial evidence linking the security guard to um, wards having left-wing leanings, um, there was nothing that was confirmed to actually suggest that he was a member of Antifa. However, across social media, he was labeled as being Antifa. So for me... From an intelligence perspective, you know, it just kind of shows you just how much is going on behind the scenes outside of these real world incidents that we're seeing. There's all this intelligence gathering that's going on between the different factions, which I think is interesting for us to just note regarding what we might see through the selection process. The final step is where we actually determine the threat courses of action. So just kind of go through some of the things that we've discussed, Um, you know. Polling stations, I think, is going to be key um, as part of this election, whether or not we see intimidation from a variety of groups or whether or not you see counter-protests by other groups in relation to this and perhaps escalations at polling stations. The inauguration is going to be absolutely key and any violence or um, um, incidents and protests that we see surrounding that. But also, if there is this this period between the election being conducted and the final um, nomination as to who's actually won the presidential um, um, nomination, I think any location that is linked to a decision, whether it's a state supreme court or a supreme court of the United States, they're going to see actions. They're going to see people who are attending um, from a protest perspective.
2: I think, especially based on the rhetoric we've we've seen from kind of both candidates or both sides, at least. Uh, regarding that one side might be trying to steal the other based either on mail-in fraud, based on removing yeah. uh, machines from post offices, based on Trump tweeting to his supporters to go to polling stations. So I think all this rhetoric and vitriol that we've seen over the last few months uh, just puts these places uh, at a higher risk of seeing unrest or, or the potential of armed conflict between certain individuals. Yeah.
0: And that polarization is absolutely key. And it it seems clear that no matter who actually wins the presidency, that is just going to continue through um, into the next term. Um, Because I don't think either candidate can actually bring the country together. So... Post election from a threat course of action perspective, I think depends on what the narrative is. If it's a, um, an overwhelming majority for one of the candidates, then fine. I think, you know, yes, we're going to see continued, um, protests and, and, and continued escalations, um, potentially towards violence. However, you know, the worst case scenario is that the rhetoric coming from the candidate who lost is saying that, you know, it, it was a stolen election because I think that is just going to really ratchet up tensions. Um, you know, we saw with the Michigan militia where they wanted to actually target the governor. Um, I think we could see the targeting of politicians going forward as well. Um, you know, we've mentioned the prospect for a civil war, which we don't think um, you know will happen for a variety of reasons, but we do believe that there is a civil war in terms of a, um, a civil war of information as to where the country should be heading um, and why this, you know, there's such a divergence of opinion regarding that. Um, but if we do see issues like the potential to secede from the state of movements like that grow. These could be issues around which um, extremists start to gather and actually we see actions in relation to them. Um, We've talked about information as well as echo chambers and just how bad that is getting within, you know, not just the US, but, you know, definitely in the West, um, and how that's going to just escalate the situation as well going forward. But then also from a business perspective, um, you know, logistically, supply chain, um, the ability to actually operate in some of these cities, you know, Mm. seeing the um, an increase in autonomous zones and the impact that is going to have on businesses in the area is going to be significant. But then also the actual targeting of businesses, um, you know, you have left wing extremists now talking about targeting Jeff Bezos as well as Amazon, um, and you know we can see that from a threat course of action just increasing going forward.
2: Yeah, and that's that's <clears throat> not taking in fact uh, COVID nineteen and the impact it's already had on businesses. Uh, some who you mentioned earlier went bankrupt, and so the culmination of COVID nineteen plus the potential for unrest uh, is for businesses is for some will go under again. Um, because of this. Yeah,
1: I think you know, we, we're seeing the potential for the targeting of political leaders, but also business leaders. So as you mentioned, they're the far left like Jeff Bezos. But also we're seeing the far right or libertarian groups looking at business leaders such as Bill Gates and, and blaming him for, you know, for the various conspiracy theories are lockdown and, and causing the economic impact. So I think we'll see an increase of targeting of a, a prominent people of influence by both left and right uh, yeah. after the elections. Yeah.
0: Um, and I think you can see just the amount of information that goes into um, us having to kind of research just to really understand from an analysis perspective, how things are going to actually turn out and, and the different scenario options that there are. Us um, the Intelligence Fusion will be monitoring the US election, we'll be recording incidents relating to any group, depending on their, um, you know, not based on their political affiliation. We just look at every incident on an instant by instant basis to provide our clients with the assessment that we feel that they need to understand in order to operate and from a business perspective to operate more effectively through uncertain times. If you liked our content today, please like, share, and subscribe. It helps us a lot. Um, And thanks very much for your time.